friends, welcome to episode 239 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are you doing, Rob? You know, I'm I'm doing pretty decently. Um, had a good dinner. Always love that. Oh that my god, fe- yeah. That always feels good when you can when you can have a good dinner before the show. Uh, although, we're, you know, we've been pretty lucky with decent dinners before shows, so like... It's- it's been a hot minute since we've had a bad dinner before show. We've got a pretty decent Mexican place next to us that I'm kind of addicted to. So uh, yeah. when you know we, we take we take dinner or we take a um, alternating responsibility for uh, providing dinner for the night. Um and so on my nights, uh it's kinda convenient to drive past that uh, Yeah, it honestly is for you. Just just drop in the order and, and get mm-hmm. it and it's it's good stuff. So uh, it's, it's semi-frequently we get to eat from this really nice Mexican place. I get these burrito tacos, and they're just amazing. Yes. Uh, we got, uh, we had our, uh, uh, Spotify remix or, or, or wrap-up. Yeah. Your wrap-up came through, which was kind of nice to see. Yeah. Like, it was, yeah. it's, it's always nice to get metrics that, like are a little more complete mm-hmm. versus like the month to month. And it was nice to see that we had a, a, a considerable amount of growth this year on Spotify specifically. So there's a couple of people um, on uh, uh, discord listeners who uh, also said that we were in their, yeah. their top five. So big shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for, very much uh, for loving and supporting. And just before the show, we got a new listener in our discord who actually a, an existing listener. What you joining mean, us. what you mean is you adopted a new son because they were immediately like, I'm starting a new 7C first edition campaign, and I have some questions, and you're like, you just pulled them in under your wing, and you're like crying happy tears. You know, because it's, it's not a common thing, you know? Not everybody <laughs> says they're into 7C, but hey. when someone's into it, I'm going to like literally feed them like all of the food they need to help them grow big and strong, Look, you know? Man, no, no, it's 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 great. I think it's absolutely great. No, like, no. I, okay. Thank you for joining us, uh, Owen. Onography, I guess I'm going to say that right. Okay. And uh, uh, I wish you luck on your 7C campaign and uh, hope uh, the uh, the guide that I sent uh, is everything you need it to be. Uh, I know for me it was a huge help because when I first started out, it was the traditional like second edition D&D main book, D&D book, and then all these other books kind of feel, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have it, one for every nation, one for every secret society, one, you know, and then there's some errata books and things like that. You know, White, White Wolf had kind of popularized that too, no, where it's, it's like you get the core book, and then it's here's a, a, an individual book for every city, and yep. an individual book for every clan. Yep, yeah, yep. Oh, you wanted the Dark Ages. Totally different book. Oh, different you know. book, different game but, system. But uh, yeah. uh, one of the... Uh, but what's funny is, is that 7C... Uh, is very close to uh, Vampire the Masquerade and the way the characters kind of are built and play out. Uh, so it's if you squint hard enough at Seven C, you can see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can see that dice pool mechanic being there. The well, even just the character sheets, you fill yeah. in dots. Yeah, it's know, it's very reminiscent. Numbers, it's yeah. very reminiscent, uh, especially with virtues and hubrises and things like that. You, you mean nature and demeanor? Uh, yeah, and like humanity is actually like reputation because yeah. you get negative reputation. Oh, oh yeah. you know. So there's a lot of things you can squint at and see there. So it was easy for me when I when I came out of Vampire, going straight to Seven C was like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Um, your access to magic is dependent upon your bloodline. Yes, again, <laughs> right back to blood. It all comes back to it. Yep. But uh, yeah, so I wish you luck. There's lots going on there. Don't get overwhelmed. That's the one thing I will say. There is a ton of stuff there. 
Uh, but uh, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun. I'll be glad to answer questions because I'm excited about it. And so. and and no, and I'm I'm not I'm not kidding, man. He was like uh, practically crying happy tears. If you really seriously you want to have fan fan you know fanboy <laughs> at him about your uh, about your campaign, ask him questions about the lore stuff like that. You have hit the jackpot because I don't think I've met anyone more enthusiastic about the setting of the game. Stop it. No, no, you can keep going. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 like someone walking up to me and saying, "Hey, you want to talk about Elder Scrolls for a little bit?" Oh, oh God, yeah. do I ever! Well, it's Elder Scrolls, Dark Souls. Like you've got your hard loves. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like which I I feel terrible about the one system spotlight. I really do. Like we looked at that. We really wanted it to be good, but we it, knew what to expect. Dark Souls as a role playing game was never going to be a like. It, it's really tough. It's a really tough sell. It's a really tough sell, and it would be a very niche game even if you did it correctly. I, I I come back to I think Merkborg did it better. <laughs> Merkborg did do it better. They just didn't have lore. Yeah. Th- that's pretty much what it came down to. So, but uh, but no, no. I mean, look, we're not, we're not, we're we're both geeks. We're not without our 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 vices, our our little fandoms that we like. You know. So, true. 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 All right. Find the right ones. So, we have a topic tonight. Oh, I did want to bring up one other funny thing before the topic. Yeah. Because I posted it to you in Discord because I ran across it. Kind of haphazardly, D and D has a twenty four seven show. You know, here's live the thing. stream. I only okay. So, I, <laughs> first off, I didn't know this was happening right. at all. So, right. like, I saw no advertisement about it whatsoever. Yeah. Um. Not. I. I, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to D and D lately, though. So, I mean, that, that's I, I not, agree. I agree. That's, that's but it's not, part of our circles. But you it know, it's kind of part of our circles. So we do. We, we keep. We keep an eye on it. Yeah. Um. The only thing I saw was up on my YouTube feed. Um. D and D tips or D and D rumors or one of the D and D channels. Mm-hmm. Um. The, the the guy with the beard and he always usually wears a a, a slouchy mm-hmm. cap. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was on top of a lot of the 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 D and D one OGL uh, rumors. Yes. Um, I don't remember what the name of his channel is, and I apologize. No, it's fine. It's fine. But uh, I saw a channel. Uh, uh, the the disastrous launch of the D and D TV channel was okay. the title of the video, and I was like. First off, D and D TV channel. What? Second off, the disastrous launch of it, and then you linked it to me, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, this is like four people sitting at a table with." Now, first off, I'm gonna say for let's plays, it's lit well. Mm-hmm. The camera angles are good. It is it is good production you quality. A little bit of character art. You got the character names and little little uh, lower thirds. Yeah, but it's. It feels like it's overproduced for what your what its what its contents are, mm-hmm. and like I, I just feel like they they're trying for a lot of content and they're not getting it, you know, and I guess that's the problem with doing just D and D. Yeah, right. You you're gonna run out of 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 difference. Of 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 variety. Well, I it's it's not. It's, I don't want this to be our topic tonight, but no, I feel no. like there's something. To, I feel like I wanted to say something about it. But for me, it's it's not it's not that though. Like mm-hmm. for me, it is you are like you're the official D and D channel, right? Yeah. Like, but you're putting out a competing product to Critical Role mm-hmm. to Dimension Twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean just just those two alone, right there. Yeah. Okay, and you look at the production quality of either of those things. Yeah. Okay, and you're the flagship. You are the official D and D channel, and you're going to put out something that tries to compete with either of those two mm-hmm. at a much 
much lower production quality. I mean, it is – look, it's a lot better visually, than I yeah. would do. Right. I would say visually it's got all the dollar signs behind it for producing it. But, like, the people involved – and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to diss the DM. I'm not going to diss the players. Like, sure. everybody's cable is different. But there's something to be said about watching a Let's Play and its production that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You know, at the level of a 24-7 live stream from the flagship company. Right? And and that's, that's I think, like, that's the stringer that gets me as I looked at it and I went, this is not your best foot forward. Secondly, it didn't even feel like D&D when I watched it. Yeah, I, I watched a decent amount of it, and I was like, this feels like Dimension 20. Mm-hmm. This feels like a mimicry of, let's do as much role play as we can and reduce the mechanics. And yet D&D is always mechanics forward in almost everything they do within the product. So yeah. it feels so counter. Like, they're not shining where they want to shine and where they should. Yeah, yeah. Knox says they're, they're players, not performers. And, I mean, I suppose that's true. You know, but when you're dealing with something like that, you need both. Yeah, you need a little bit. You of both. really do need both. You need actors who play the game, or you need gamers who can act. Yeah, and there are people who do that. There sure. are very qualified people out sure. there who could be who they could flagship for this. Mm-hmm. Not to get them to do a twenty four seven constant stream. I assure you, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, is getting them to produce enough content for the right amount of money. Right, right. That that's the big thing. They needed like six shows mm-hmm. to do that right. That that this isn't the formatting. Yeah, yeah. Like YouTube's great because you can put out four videos a day from different creators and you're hitting it. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of content. If you do two videos a day, you're amazing at content creation. Yeah. But you do that for a twenty four seven stream. How is that even remotely sustainable? No way. Yeah. No way. That's why I feel like that's just gonna die. Yeah, even so. Heatsink says that's why that's why Critical Role did Critical Role did so well. Everybody already had experience in acting, you know. Well, not only that, they also didn't produce a twenty four seven show. Their shows came out originally what like once a week. Yeah, I mean, it was once a week. Right, like one. How long was the show? Uh, it was about about four hours, sure. depending on you know what where narratively it was okay to make the break it was right. between three and a half to four and a half hours. Right. Um. And but but again, they were all like you know Hollywood voice actor professionals. That's how they all that's how they all met was was, mm-hmm. was voice acting yeah. gigs and whatnot. But even just that in the content alone, that's that's not to fill a channel. Yeah. And then uh, Knox in the Box says, he's never seen Dimension 20, just clips. Are they actors, performers, comics? Uh, it's the, uh, they're, they're all from, it's, it's an offshoot of College Humor. Yeah. Uh, so they're all, they're all improv comics. Yeah. Uh, that, that have a long history of doing sketch comedy on College, uh, college Humor's uh, channel. Yeah. And then uh, Brennan just started running a and d game for them, basically, and they, they televised it. So. Yeah, and it, it worked out exceptionally yep. well because it's pretty much the same thing. And because Brennan is, like, one of the best storytellers on the planet, he's, honestly. He's stupidly brilliant. I'll just leave it at that. All right. We do have a show. Yeah. And this was a show that you weren't sure about multiple well, times over. So here's here's the thing. It's like, <laughs> this is, a, like, you know, we we each, we, when, we, when we brainstorm our list of ideas, we each come up with, um, you know, our own little pet topics. Like, oh, I really want to talk about this mm-hmm. one. And this was one you put down on the list. I okay, did. So this, this was it. This was a you topic. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I didn't have any investiture in it whatsoever. But like, 
this was something that you were like, I really want to talk about this. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, cool, you know. Sure. But but you're going to be leading on this one, you know, because yeah. it's, not, it's not a topic that I had, like, up strong opinions about. But once we started talking and you were like, okay, so it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And I was like... All right, Sorry. I kind of do have a few opinions about this. You, you have this. opinions. And hold yeah. on, wait, wait, wait. If you look at it from this angle, it's like, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, there you go. I hooked her. <laughs> yeah. And and I feel sometimes that's what it takes. It's yeah, just sure. like I've just got to figure out where the where the hook needs to get into you, and then you're I can just open that brain stream like a zipper, and I love it. Or or what what I what I love is the times where I'm not really invested in the topic, and you say something, you troll me into mm-hmm. a response mm-hmm. where you say something either jokey or controversial or something mm-hmm. like that, and I'm like, no hold no hold on hold on, you can't just say that because this and this and this, and you're like, God, yes. and I just sit back with my tea and wait. <laughs> and by and then the I've end, written I've written half the show notes. Yeah, so. and it's been fantastic. Yeah, and, yeah. So what we're talking about tonight is. Uh, Colloquially known as compulsion loop or core loops. Now, yep. the idea of a compulsion loop is pretty simple. It is basically just a habitual chain of activities that are repeated by a user to get them to continue the activity. Mm-hmm. A la, if I sit at a uh, at a slot machine at a casino mm-hmm. and I put a coin in and pull the lever, that is the action to make the dial spin make the sounds, and I may make money. And then it will ask me for another coin. Mm-hmm. So the, that is the the gameplay loop. That's it. Yeah. And it's a simple loop because the compulsion is I will win something. Mm-hmm. Now, for some people, that doesn't do anything for them whatsoever. But for others, it can get pretty driving. In fact, full, full on addictions. So we're kind of kind of break that down to understand how that compulsion loop moves into gaming and what we most recognize that in is video games. Mm-hmm. But video games didn't were at the start point. It was no, actually no, no, there were games prior to that that built the compulsion loop. I, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a pretty common thing in in gaming uh, uh, across the board. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we talked we've talked a lot before about how you know like it started with games like Dungeons and Dragons and like other strategy war games and such like that that mm-hmm. were play by post and you mm-hmm. know whatnot. Uh, but then, you know, from there, we got video gaming as uh, as technology advanced and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And people lifted a lot of those core I- I- ideals into their, you know, from D&D into video games mm-hmm. and established a lot of norms there. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of, like, old Elder Scrolls games like Daggerfall, you know, mm-hmm. you can definitely see the roots of, like, old second edition D&D in it. You Very know? much so. Very much so. Um, but then that just kind of became the common the common throughput in uh, um to create the games. core loop, yeah, to create the core loop, and we still see it to this day in our in our tabletop role playing games too. I think it it's hidden under the covers. We don't recognize it nearly as much. It's not really ever grossly stated. I, I'm 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 gonna say again, as as I said before, I I think it's a lot more prevalent than you give it credit for. We've reviewed a system spot a month. Uh huh. And I will say, in none of them have I seen it defined. No, no, no. That's the thing is, it's never defined. Correct. It is assumed, always. And that's really kind of why we're having this discussion tonight, because this is one of those things that we all take for granted, but it is a fundamental pillar of how we run games, Mm -hmm. and how we, as storytellers, interact with and essentially plot hook our players 
into this compulsion loop, mm-hmm. into this core gameplay loop, and get them to engage with our story, and then come back for more. Because a lot of, t- especially some of the newer games that are designed by renowned people who've been doing it for decades, they've drifted into this far narrative scale without carrying over the knowledge. Mm-hmm. The assumption is there. Yeah. We see it. But when you when you look at it, there's no explanation that that's what you must do. So coming into those whole clean, you might not even understand what to do as a storyteller in those situations. Yes and no. I mean, I don't know. And again, maybe this is me speaking from a place of privilege. I've got 30 years of experience gaming and such like that. But um, I, I wonder if it's one of those things that game designers see as so fundamentally like obvious mm-hmm. you know I, to use an analogy i used to get frustrated with my math teachers mm-hmm. when i was in high school yep. because they would be like show your work yeah and i'll be like all i did was add two plus two do you want me to explain to you that i added two plus two to get four here mm-hmm. and they went yes and i'm like do you do you think that I didn't know that I needed to add two plus two, that I needed to write it out for you so you marked me down for it? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's that fundamental of a thing. Mm-hmm. I learned how to add two plus two in kindergarten. Right. Okay. And you as a high school math teacher are marking me down because I didn't explain that was a step I took. Correct. And to me, that's kind of where we like where we are here. Where, where I, I think that a lot of game designers look at this compulsion loop as so fundamental and so easily understood by 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 the community that like when you say things like give them a quest you know put monsters in front of them they're going to fill they're going to fight the monsters then here's some treasure tables that you can roll on to give them rewards for the treasure there's that implication that the compulsion loop is how you're going to get through that mm-hmm. you know that players will want to go on a quest that players will want to conquer a um a, a difficulty of some sort a boss or mm-hmm. a or a challenge or whatever um and then get a reward out of the end of it and then they would want to do it again because that reward would enable them to escalate their own power they would gain levels, they would gain treasure, they would gain magical items and whatnot. They can now fight bigger monsters, you move them on to the next quest. Correct. And I, and what I say to that is, I literally saw today a post that said, my players want to go fight a red dragon. They definitely can't do it. Mm-hmm. They definitely can't win. What do I do? And the question is, why do your players want to go fight a red dragon? Yeah. Like, what's their motivation? Yeah. Like, how did, how did this come about? More and questions then, than answers there. Right. But it made me recognize that this storyteller didn't present a loop. Mm. They just presented a world. They just said, there's a red dragon in the world, and the players went, we should punch it. Right. Like, this is what we know that's mm. out there. Let's go do this thing. Yeah. And that starts creating this fundamental concern. So... Let's talk a little, let's break down and, and give a clear example yeah, we always, or two. We always start with definitions and whatnot. So what, yeah. are, what, are we, what, what, are the, what are the bits and pieces we're working with here? So when we're talking about a compulsion loop, definitionally it's, it's the habitual things. What we're talking about in a mechanical sense is we're talking about having story, having some kind of a conflict, you know, a, a, a bit of exploration or conflict or something going on, resources necessary to handle a boss 
and then a reward that loops you back to story. Mm -hmm. So that you're just following this thing where, like, now that you're at the end of that story piece, you know what's next. Yeah. I just received this reward that presents the next thing to me. Mm -hmm. And we can see that, like, in uh, 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 Critical Role's uh, most recent uh, anime that's out. Yeah. Uh, even if you haven't, you know, re watched through any of the actual series and you've only ever seen it, you can see how the characters are progressing through their loop. That they're like, we have to go take this on. We can't just do that. We must prepare ourselves. Okay. There are challenges in getting the things we need to be prepared to go handle this thing. And that's that's part of the, part and parcel to that basic core loop. Um, one of the games that we play digitally uh, is Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter. It's a it's a great game, but its core loop is fundamentally the same as pretty much every other game out there. And I I will explain this in in a simple way because it it can get quite complex within Monster Hunter. But effectively, is there are a, there is a monster. Mm -hmm. You need to take care of it. You need certain gear to be able to counter and or do damage to it. Mm -hmm. So first you must go retrieve said gear. Mm -hmm. Then you can, which has its own challenges related to it. Pookie Pookie's a poison monster. Correct. You have to build the anti-poison gear. Right. You fight Pookie Pookie and you get gear that makes poison, poison stuff, stuff happen. Oh, look, the next monster is weak to poison. It, Mega Man was the same series. Exactly. Mega Man 2, like, was one of my favorite games in the entire world. And it's like, you know, kill Woodman to get the wood shield. Use the wood shield to kill Airman. Use the, get, to get the air, uh, the, the, the air burster. The air burster to kill Crash Man. Use the crash bombs. To, yeah, et cetera, and you et cetera. Just, again, that's the same thing where mm -hmm. you're moving through. And this is prevalent in other loops. Plenty of other games, S yeah. Stardew Valley is full of these loops. You constantly need to prepare yourself to get the next thing you need to progress in whichever way you're going, whether it's combat, relationships, your farm, whatever. It creates constant loops to make you do this. And there is no difference in doing these in a tabletop game as a storyteller. What I'm saying about this is, is that like in OSR kind of design, the idea of having you go to a location, right, to clean out the problem. You know, you're given a quest to clean out a dungeon. They need something that's at the end, and clearly something's protecting it that this group can't take care of. So they're asking you or paying you to do it. That's your reward. And you know you need this reward because it's either money, in the case of, like, Shadowrun or whatever, or its fame, or the person will give you something you need to continue a different quest. But regardless, now you have the challenge of the dungeon, which presents its own problems to get whatever you need to finish said dungeon and leave it. And that's that's a pretty basic loop. Mm -hmm. This doesn't change as you move into narrative. It really doesn't. You have to squint a little bit. Um, but your, uh, a lot of your things translate one to one, Correct. but you have, but you have to squint because they start becoming intangibles. Right. Okay. So if your quote unquote dungeon, if the, if the, 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 uh, boss that you're trying to defeat is something like negotiating peace between two warring factions. Okay. 
That is the boss. That is the ultimate goal. What is the reward that you get at the end of that? Is it treasure? I don't know. Maybe. But it's certainly peace. Yeah. You know? It might be it might be accolades from either side, mm-hmm. you know, or or even their help in something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so you know what is what is the exploration there? Well, mm-hmm. finding inroads mm-hmm. to you know talking to people, trying to figure out what the common ground between these two warring factions is that you can start brokering that peace with. What are the resources? Maybe you need to get certain diplomats on your side. Maybe you need to get one side to agree to certain concessions to the other to start building these inroads. It's not anything as, as um, you know, tangible as things like we need healing potions or we need this magic sword to be able to slay the boss. And it's not, it's not a straight-up combat encounter. It's mm-hmm. not as simple and straightforward as if we deplete its hit points to zero, we win, you know? But... It's the exact same gameplay loop. You're yeah. presented with a challenge and you're present and, and you want to overcome that challenge because you see the reward that you will get for it on the other side of it. And so you put yourself on this path to gathering the resources and exploring different avenues with which to conquer that uh, that, that challenge so that you can get the reward on the other side of it. Exactly. And I, I think those two two words are probably one of the most important thing the resources that you need and reward that you're going to get at the end yeah because it helps to find something that i think is one of the hardest things to recognize and that is the motivation for why even the players are there in the first place Mm -hmm. so when we're talking about a reward this isn't something that is intangible this isn't like there's a chest at the end and there might be something in it No, no 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 that's that's just stuff mm-hmm. that could be meaningless. The players need to understand what their reward is because that's the thing that they're driving to get to the end. Exactly. That's the only reason why they're there. They may find other reasons along the way, but that's the reason what they're why they're driving into it. Mm-hmm. So when you're creating a, an adventure that has a loop like this, the two pieces you start out with is... The reason why they're why you're sending them there and what they're there to do at the end that makes them want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Even if that thing at the end is save the world because it's where I keep all my stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's one hundred percent tangible. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent tangible, right? And and I'll tell you for, from from all my experience in gaming, there's no worse feeling as a player than mm-hmm. losing sight of what that reward is. Yeah, because then it feels like all stick, no carrot. Mm-hmm. You know. Because I find myself occasionally in certain games just going like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, we got so wrapped up in we need to do steps A, B, and C that we forgot what the what D was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what, the, what the end result was. Why are we putting so much energy into the thing that we're doing? Oh, so we can get X, Y, and Z. Okay. As long as we don't lose sight of that. Yes. You know? and, I, and I do understand that there can be loops within loops and you can lose sight when you're dealing with things like that. But one of the greatest feelings you can have as a storyteller is literally watching your players explain to each other why they're there mm-hmm. and knowing that everyone is on the right page, that they're comfortable, that they're driving toward the goal that's presented. Now, the question comes up then is, well, isn't this just railroading under a different way? And the answer is... No, because you're not defining how they did it, how they get it done. Right, right. There's no loss to say this is where, you know, the mountain is there. 
you are here. You're wanting to get to the top of the mountain. Okay, good luck. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you're going to get there. I'm going to present challenges all along the way. And there's going to be something near the end, obviously. Right. That's that's really the I think that the, the key thing that I wanted to talk about here was right. like is is how do you reconcile this? Like we've talked a lot about encounter design, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is the big advice we always give? You write situations, not, not stories, not stories, not plots, right? So if you were <laughs> sorry, I was just laughing. We're storyteller conclave, not railroad conclave. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> we could be railroad conclave. That's fine. Trains are awesome. They are pretty cool. Um, but uh, uh, so so if if we're if we're writing story situations, not plots, then how do you expect to then listen to this advice that we're giving out today, mm-hmm. and then come up with rewards and you know boss challenges mm-hmm. and explore? You know, how do you set all that stuff up? Right. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked a little bit about how you, you want to keep your eye on the prize, sure, but I dare say that's where you need to start. Yeah, start at the end. Like, you you literally start at the end and work your way backwards. So, you know, in our little our little chain here of, uh, you uh, so you've got your story that leads into the exploration and or combat, gathering of resources, to overcome the boss challenge, to get the reward. Mm-hmm. You start at reward. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what we call the plot hook. Mm-hmm. Okay, the players are presented, and this kind of goes back to like with your with your red dragon. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What what is the goal you're trying to seek? I mean, what? Sure, you've got the red dragon over there. The goal you want to seek is defeating it, but why? Right. Like, what are you achieving? What are you gaining? What is driving you? Yeah. Forward, in and this, it's in as a group. Plot. Yeah. Like you might have your own personal reasons that sit beyond that, but as a group, you would all recognize the main reason of why you're doing this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, there, there has to be some sort of tangible reason that drives your players forward. And again, we usually call these plot hooks, mm-hmm. you know, do you, do you want the thing? Okay. Well, then you're going to have to go on the quest to get the thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. We've already got the reward put out there. Yep. All right. And like I said, this reward can be intangible too. It can be something like peace between two warring nations, but it can also be things like inner peace. Yeah. You, if your character has an internal struggle going on because of some past trauma that they were through, maybe they need to, you know, seek the advice and wise counsel of other people, resources. Mm-hmm. And maybe that end challenge is like a, a really trying situation where they have to contr- confront the source of their trauma or something that represents it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so that they can experience the character growth on the other side of it and yep. put, and move past it. That's still the same loop. Yep. The reward is just inner peace and the boss is your own emotions, mm-hmm. but it's the same loop, yep. you know? Yep. So you start with the reward. What do you want? Then you can identify what stands in the way. And oftentimes the players will know this. They'll sometimes present it without you saying a word. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, like, if you, like, going, kind of going on this two warring factions thing, you know, the, the reward is peace. What is the boss of it? Obviously the rulers of the two factions. And those who wish to keep it at, at war. Exactly. Exactly. Those who think that the status quo of war is where they need to be. And again, like... Your players will also present their opinions through their characters. Maybe maybe your characters are very wise in the sense that it's a bunch of, you know, it's probably the merchants trying to keep war profitable. 
that sounds like a decent thing. I would sure. make an immediate note about that. <laughs> that that sounds like something that wasn't in my notes before, but it is now. Because yep. it's and that's the thing is is that extends the agency but doesn't change your target. Exactly. Your Nor end, theirs. Your end goal is still peace. Yeah. They've just presented a possible obstacle that you've decided a yes and. Yeah, so you don't have to think about, oh, there's going to be, you know, an assassin at the last minute who's going to try and take one of these people out. You, you don't don't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. Let them paint the initial picture and then present challenges to them from a perspective that makes sense for that world. Now, what I will say is you, I mean, you will obviously want to give some thought into, you know, structuring... I, what I keep referring to as the boss encounter, mm -hmm. but, you know, understanding, like I said, that, that this could be a completely intangible thing, mm -hmm. you know. So what is the the chief obstacle they need to overcome to achieve the reward? Mm -hmm. OK, you will want to think about ways that that could possibly be circumvented. Mm -hmm. OK, we say boss encounter. And maybe it is. Maybe mm -hmm. it is just straight up a monster that mm -hmm. you have to slay, this red dragon that you mentioned earlier. Yep. You know? Maybe it is as simple as go fist fight a red dragon, you win, you get the loot. Yeah. Okay. I I'm going to go with something simpler so we can talk about it with a direct reference that a lot of people probably has either seen or known. I'm going to talk about Baldur's Gate 3. It's been out for a number yes. of months, and the opening segment, so I'm not spoiling anything mm -hmm. here, is you're on a nautiloid. That's crashing effectively. Yep. It's on fire, all kinds of shit's breaking loose, and the final scene of that is effectively already recognized. You're trying to get off of this thing, mm -hmm. and you're presented with the controls. You're at the main control center, and there's a fight going on in the room. Mm -hmm. No one tells you what you have to do when you get into that room. It's a combat encounter that you can technically avoid, and probably should, yeah, considering I mean, who's all involved. One of, one of the Mind Flayers is like, Thrall, go go activate the controls. That's the only instruction you're given. Mm -hmm. You're just thrown in with a bunch of enemies, and you're thrown in with a, with a pretty strong demon, especially for your first level characters. Correct. And a Mind Flayer punching each other yeah. in the corner. And you're like, okay, I shall go do this thing or not do this thing. Or not do this thing. But again, you've got the agency to do it. But know? that presentation of that situation to the players does not make any assumptions about what those players are going to do. Exactly. And so on, or on a, how it should be done. On a, on a bigger level, you know, maybe you broker peace with the you know between these factions. Mm -hmm. Okay, to continue with this example, sure. to give you a not uh, to give you an example of a non tangible, you know, because mm -hmm. we always look at boss encounters as like you have to kill the monster. Yeah. Okay. Not always the case. Let's 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 give you a different different example here. Okay. Maybe you broker the peace. Maybe that's the straight up combat answer to it sure you know of, of the just meet it head on mm -hmm. get them both at the table get them talking get them to agree mm -hmm. okay maybe maybe you use guile to go around it okay mm -hmm. maybe they like assassinate somebody and pin it on a third party and make them come together you know to mm -hmm. to agree to you know that that third party is worse Yep. It's underhanded as all hell. A watchman effect, if you will. But it's a solution <laughs> that, is that definitely... your players might come up with. You know? Yeah. Maybe they they decide that peace isn't worth it and they, they throw all their chips in with one side to try to win the war. Yeah. And just and just end the war that way. Mm -hmm. By victory rather than rather than a, a, a compromise. Mm -hmm. You know, these are we're not saying you have to broker peace. We're saying 
peace is the objective and that these two warring factions are the things that are standing in the way of it. Mm-hmm. How you handle it is not written. But when you do think of this loop and how this loop might play out in your encounters, you're going to want to think about how the players might approach it. Mm-hmm. And just jot some notes for yourself. You're never going to know until you get there. Yeah. You know? And that's... that's you're going to want a scaffolding. Correct. And you're going to go challenge to challenge based upon how they react through those. Mm-hmm. Not to say that they won't have to just take a step back to get different resources if it was unsuccessful. Sure. You know, if they... Maybe their first attempt was to try and get... Uh, two of the families that cross over that it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet situation that they believe they've got, you know, that they can help solve doesn't work out. The roles don't happen. And now they're upset, even more upset with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now they've got to take a different angle at it. Sure. So they take a step back to get different resources. It doesn't always have to be a success to get to the end of that, but they always have to remember that that's their end goal mm-hmm. is they've got to do something with these two factions because at war right now, it puts everything at risk. Now, one other thing I will mention too is that we are effectively talking about loops within loops. Correct. Okay. Because what you just mentioned of like, okay, maybe we want to try to get these two, you know, these two families Mm -hmm. to agree, which starts an inroad between Mm -hmm. these two factions. So the goal is peace between the families. Right. So now (laughs) we're... Your reward reward is the beginning of an inroad. Mm -hmm. The goal or the the, the, the quote-unquote boss encounter is two families making peace rather than two whole factions making peace. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're just doing this on a micro scale. We're stitching before we sew the whole line. Exactly. Yep. But again, every breakdown can do that. Mm-hmm. You can create your adventure packets within your campaign. Yeah. And those loops. Yep. And it still doesn't change the basic core mechanic of inciting into incident, complication, and resolution. Yeah. Like that's those are all going to be part of that every mm-hmm. single time. But understanding that the players need to know without a shadow of a doubt their target so that they can feel accomplished when they get there with what their results were. Exactly. Exactly. If I put a coin in the system and I pull the lever, I know there's a chance that I will very a small chance that I will succeed on a great level, a minor chance that I'll get something, and it's still a chance that I will get nothing out of it. I think more importantly... If it does come up all sevens, if it spit out a single quarter at you, you'd walk away. Yeah. Because it says all over the front of the machine how I'm to win. Mm Mm-hmm. All the ways I can win. It is obvious to me that that is my goal. Right. So what what is your main goal with a slot machine? You want the jackpot. That's right. Right. I want the money. Yeah, you want you want the jackpot. You mm-hmm. want to hit it big. You want that thing coughing out quarters for the next five solid minutes as it yeah. empties itself into buckets upon buckets of quarters for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the goal. Mm-hmm. That's the reward you're seeking, you know. And so if there isn't a significant payoff, if there isn't a tangible reward at the end, you know. Or one that meets my expectations along the route, even. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the the, the lyric from uh, the Tool song, uh, The Patient. If there were no reward to reap, no uh, loving embrace to see me through this tedious path I've chosen here, I certainly would have walked away by now. Mm Mm-hmm. And I still may. Yeah. 
And and that's the thing is is that you also have to be prepared that if your characters have gone through a lot mm-hmm. and not achieved their goal, talk to your players. Yeah. Be prepared to look at them and say, okay, what do you guys want to do? Because you don't have to hand them a victory. No, but you allowing them to feel like they've earned something, like their Correct. suffering was worth something. Correct. Is you, you've got to temper your downswings with upswings. Yeah. You know? Failing forward is still something. Exactly, because you still achieved something out of a failure. Yeah. You, so, you certainly had a setback. You had yeah. a challenge to overcome. It cost you some resources, but you still got something out of it. Yeah. And and I I see it as like uh, the uh, Avatar's uh, uncle, uh, you know, where he uncle Iro. yeah Uncle Iro was kind of look look at thing you know his 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 view of the world where he was just like you still succeeded you know I didn't succeed in anything that I did but you've succeeded you are different mm-hmm. you are changed and a better person that's worth more to me than all the victories yeah exactly and sometimes that. You need to have a character, an NPC, who sees that. Mm-hmm. Who's just like, you know what? I'm going to give you guys a hand with this. You've worked really hard. You've really tried. You've made enough of an effort. You've made an impression on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'll have tea with him later this afternoon and we'll talk about something. Sure. You know. And now you've stepped up something. Yeah. Because you've made an impression, and it shows the weight of mm-hmm. what you've done. Um, we see this with uh, sword fighters, you know, where it's like duels, where a duel after duel, the person feels like, you know, they're, they've made their way up, and the person is just like, you know, could best them easily, but looks at him and goes, I, I can't duel you. Why? Because you have so much more to learn, and I can see so much potential. Mm-hmm. It'd be a waste. I'll give you a chance, but first you must learn. <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh, well, crap, that's kind of respectful, you know, at that point. That's right, you have been watching Blue Eye Samurai, haven't you? I have. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's It's so good. It's really good. It's really good. So what we're basically saying here is you're not railroading. You're scaffolding from the end. Mm -hmm. And you're presenting that golden apple that they want. Yeah. So that they feel the motivation to get it and present you... On the way. You're showing them a beacon on the distance. You're not telling them how to get there or, or even making the path for them. No. And in, and again, as it, as it becomes more obvious to them, they'll, their lips will present all of the challenges. They'll give them to you in many cases as they get deeper and deeper into their own situation of what is next. Doesn't mean that has to be exactly how it gets painted out. But it's wonderful to listen for the key phrases of like, oh, well, this is going to be a problem. You know, that might just be a problem. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying something. Yeah, you might, you might want to do something about that, yeah. But uh, we do have some questions. Yeah, And I think these questions. questions are good questions for this, especially because they, they're, they're a little thought-provoking. Yeah, okay. So Matt O'Blooms asks, during one, se- one session, our GM had us going through a labyrinth. So every turn we would roll and the result would indicate if we were moving towards the exit or encountered a monster or other hazard. It was thrilling throughout. Are there any similar ways to utilize this sort of loop to deliver that same rush outside of rolling dice for combat? 
Uh, so we, I do want to clarify, though, we did have a little discussion with him on the side there and asked him a little more to explain what he felt was thrilling about the uh, the situation. Mm-hmm. I, I apologize if I'm getting your, your pronouns wrong, um, uh, by the way. Uh, but uh, the the implication was essentially that it was a fail-forward sort of mechanic, mm-hmm. that if they weren't moving towards the labyrinth, they were presented with a challenge, but they still like they felt like they got something out of it. Correct. Um, and that's, I, I like, I, I think is absolutely the key to the answer there. Like the first thing you want to do when you've got something that is working for you in the game is identify what makes that magic happen. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in this case, um, it was, it was the excitement of the randomness mm-hmm. of it. Um, some people find that frustrating. Some people find that exciting. Um, mm-hmm. this was clearly a case in which your players, uh, felt it was exciting. Um, so definitely lean into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the important thing was that it wasn't a, a definite setback if the die roll didn't go your way. Mm-hmm. It was just a challenge, and you still progressed. Yes. Um, what this made me immediately think of was mm-hmm. some digital games, where it's, if you're doing the right combinations, the you're just moving along and success is happening, but the moment you lose that, you're dropped into a mini-game. To try and get back to your point of success. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. it's that little, like, stair-step loop of, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving, crap. Uh, am I going backwards? No, I succeeded in this thing. Now I can move forward again, I can move forward. Oh, crap. Okay, now I'm down again and back into the loop. Yep. And it's those mini things that kind of give you that chance to stand back up again mm-hmm. and try. And that, I think, right there helps. Um for instance, I could see something like this fitting into dramatic tasks. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're doing a dramatic task, you're just stacking up tokens. And as it gets closer to the end, there's a point where it feels like, well, there's nothing we can do. We failed. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way we can possibly succeed this. We just fail. Yeah. That's kind of a crashing reality. It kind of dumps you right out of the, the motivation uh, in, in, in some a, ways. In a sense. Um... Because, like, I can't succeed i can't reach the reward that i was looking for Mm -hmm. you know i can't get what i need in this and the point of this is is that what this does within that mechanic is says okay you you instead of doing everything as the final success point it's saying that during that you can still gain something you may not get to your end goal that you're at but you gained something along the way yeah yeah you even know, if it cost you resources, even if you you know you had to do like you said, kind of like a puzzle mini game, you know, right, right. Uh, you had to do a small combat or figure out you know uh, uh, some sort of other complication, or maybe it just straight up cost you resources. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's at least some sort of a an engaging mechanic with your players, mm-hmm. and they feel like at the end of it they've done something about the failure. Right, and it's still progressed the story. Yeah, you yeah. still get to move forward because again. Getting to the reward is the goal they want to get to. You must give them the opportunity to do so unless you're just basically going to say the punishment is failure, start over. At which point you're in a roguelike situation where you're just trying again mm-hmm. in a different way. And if if that's the way you want to run your table, there's nothing wrong with that. But the players need to understand that from the beginning, not when they're you know 16 layers deep and they're like, what do you mean we have to start over? Like, just because we failed one one or two rolls, mm-hmm. we now have to start over? That Okay, that's painful. That's yeah. beyond a doubt that's painful. Especially when you're very close to the end. How many people, when they're in the boss fight, 
and get, you know, TPK'd are like, okay, well, what now? Right? Mm-hmm. We just we just lost everything. Yeah. Because a couple bad rolls, right? And now it's like, okay, well, how does that situation handle? And the answer is, what resources did they get up to that point that could change the outcome in a direction? Mm-hmm. You know, does someone come to and, and pull them out of the situation and present to them what happens? You know, how far they got. Maybe it shifted the situation. Maybe the bad guy did get away with one of the things they were going to do. But there are now other opportunities that have come out of it to present a different way to get to the reward. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, for, for me, I think what it boils down to is absolutes. Yes. Right? Okay, you're talking about absolute victory or absolute failure. Correct. You know, absolute victory being the cakewalk where you walk in and there's no challenge whatsoever. Absolute defeat being that mythical TPK. Correct. You know, and what you want is something that goes in somewhere in that nice little little, little gray area in the middle. And it sounds like that's what you had. You had... Um, yeah, it was random rolls, um, and yeah, that presented you with with random you know challenges that would come up, um, but th- those challenges were enough to pull you back towards failure, but not enough to just be like you failed a roll, you lose. Right, it's over. There's you know, no way to win this. There's, it's just, it's just, oh, that made things more difficult for us, mm-hmm. you know, and then you've got that challenge. I think, and I think, honestly, with most encounter design, this is always what we're aiming for. Yeah. I mean, I know personally, I, as a storyteller, when, whenever I have, like, a combat encounter, I'm thinking, like, so in, in one of my last games, um, uh, I had a, I had an encounter set up where, um, the players were talking to a dragon mm-hmm. that was stuck in this alternate dimension, um, and he was imprisoned there by the lord of that dimension. Uh, uh, couldn't get out. And so basically he asked these people, after exchanged um, them some really valuable information he had, uh, for killing him. He says, it's the only way that I'm able to get out of here. You can you can take my soul because of a, a special supernatural ability you have, and that, that'll smuggle me out of here. Like, all that'll be left is my bones. And honestly, my bones are pretty valuable to you, too, because you can make dragon bone weapons and armor out mm-hmm. of them. And you're trying to hunt dragons, and that's going to be great for you. Yep. So if you kill me, that's going to be great for everyone involved. Yep. Um, and so how I had the encounter set up is once they started attacking the dragon, the lord of that realm was going to send his minions in to essentially, like, you would have to damage down the dragon while keeping all the incoming adds off of you mm-hmm. for long enough. But I had a random random roll chart that I was going to roll on to see which ads showed up. Sure. And, like, nothing showed up on the first turn, and, like, the bare minimum showed up on the second turn. And you guys had done so good in your rolls that, like, nothing really came out of it. It wasn't really a, a, a difficult challenge. Right. It turned out to be dramatic, and it, it was, was very, very meaningful for, for, for all the players involved from a story standpoint. But I, I wanted the combat encounter to be... You know, something that you guys kind of gritted your teeth over. I wanted you to be like, oh, wow, what are we going to do with all these monsters attacking us? How are we going to kill a massive dragon mm-hmm. before these things swarm us is what I wanted the, the, the stress of it to be. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't happen because some, some lucky die rolls on your guys' part Very much so. and some poor die rolls on my part. And I was disappointed by that because I wanted that tension, tension. you know, yep. and it didn't happen that way. Um and it's because I did. I I was unsuccessful in hitting that mythical middle spot. 
of putting you in enough danger for it to be exciting, but not enough to go to an absolute where it's an absolute victory or an absolute defeat. Now, I will say the other encounter that we had uh, during that same situation, similar situation, Mm -hmm. where basically we had to run across or move across a field of ballistas. Oh, (laughs) yeah, there was that. That right there, I think, was more stressful. Okay. Because our chances of success were much lower. Uh, in a sense, yeah. I mean, we if we had a player go down mm-hmm. in the middle of that... What would you do? Right. Now, now, now we have a critical problem. Yeah. Like, how do you succeed when you're, A, down some level of, of ability and resource? Mm-hmm. Like, how... There, there wasn't anybody to talk to. We were dealing with a a, a mechanical problem, mm-hmm. right? And so it presented a level of challenge there that felt almost insurmountable if we didn't succeed. It was the uh, you know the uh, a tray you looking at the the Southern Oracle, like you either succeed or fail, or you get vaporized, right? Yeah. Like that's it, like. <laughs> Game over right there. Do we just get ejected from Apocrypha at that point? Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, right. I, I, I don't know, but it didn't come up. <laughs> but it created a, a level of stress in that that yeah. was there. Mm-hmm. Like, the presentation was there. And I think if I were to make a change mm-hmm. to your situation, and this is, I thought about this much later, was you should have put chains on it. Like, pins and chains keeping the dragon in place meaning he couldn't have left the area, and those chains are tied to things. Meaning, oh. like, the moment that it gets attacked, they start to t- Like, they've been there forever, mm-hmm. but they start to turn, like, what are you doing, Dave? Yeah, like, kind yeah, of a yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, And yeah. now we know, like, the Watchers are coming. Right, right. The things that are holding the dragon down are coming. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's a problem, like... It's it's that it's that doom clock that you missed that element where we knew the doom was coming. Yeah, I think I I left the doom up to random chance, and then I rolled really low on the doom chance. Right, you know, and by by then you'd done so much damage to the dragon. I'm like, if I if I throw monsters in now, I'm just literally delaying the inevitable. Right, and I should just let you guys have the victory, and we can move on to the next encounter. You know. Yeah, but I I think that's where doom clocks come in into those types of equations is because. When you need to ramp up tension, Doom Clocks do a great job because it is the bomb under the table that everyone knows about. Yep. Yep. It's, it fills the gap of invisibility of the invisible problem. Yeah. And makes it visible. I th- But again, coming back to Matt Bloom, I like this. I yeah. like this a lot. I like being able to fail forward and feel each of those steps as you mm. move through them. Now, one one thing I will say, um, and again, I... I... I don't know what happened at your table, and I don't know, you know, what your group looks for out of an encounter. Um, the only, the only other thing that, that thought that crossed my mind about this is that I personally would have found this this mechanic a little frustrating. I think, okay, because success is entirely up to random chance, and not up to the abilities of the players or the characters. Like, if you're navigating a labyrinth, I feel like my character should have something to do with that. Like, mm-hmm. is there a puzzle-solving skill? Can I make an intelligence check to try to keep my bearings or, you know, a cartography skill? Or, you know, depending on what, what's, what, what system we're using, is there some way that my character can use their talents to engage with the labyrinth and make things easier? Mm-hmm. Or is it literally 
just up to the toss of a die. And I would agree with that statement. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Um, but but that's that's honestly my my only other critique of, of of that. And again, again, I cannot speak for what happened at your table. So right, if, if it worked at your table and everybody found it thrilling, then you did the right thing. Yep. Yep. So, well done. Well awesome. Done. Yeah. Yep. All right. So Philly fan uh, tosses in right before the show came on. Well done. Uh, uh, mostly unrelated to this week's topic, do you have any advice on running a system that both you and your group haven't played before? Hmm. All right. So I do, but I'll hear yours first. My advice is immediately. First off, read the rule book. Read it again. Read it again. Um. At least just the core the, the core bits. Most rule books have a how to run this game mm-hmm. section in there. You should pay special attention to that because that will tell you a lot of the things that the game wants you to think about and wants you to focus on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you can find them, look up uh, Let's Plays to mm-hmm. see how other people have played it. Especially, I... Most devs nowadays are doing their playing their own game. Yeah. That's one of the funniest things is watching a dev play their own game because you'll look at it and go, are they playing that rule right? Mm-hmm. I've seen that a lot. Uh, but other than that, though, um, I would say, you know, set low expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and by that, I don't mean expect your game to suck. I just mean keep your plot simple. Mm-hmm. Don't try to run a big epic three-year campaign with, you know, many different vicissitudes and plot twists and double crosses and red herrings. Just just make it – your first couple games should just be like, okay, here's some basic characters. Here's a basic problem that makes use of major set pieces in the story. Mm-hmm. We're going to just run the compulsion loop. Yes. You're, you have a reward that you're seeking. There is a quest you must go on. There is a hill you must climb, and a you know a, a, some sort of a, a thing you must overcome to get the reward. Congratulations, you're done. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said wholeheartedly, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hard time sometimes reading certain books because they're not designed for my reading, my mm-hmm. consumption. Um, my dyslexia doesn't help me. Yeah, uh, it makes it very challenging to read through numbers and stuff. Um, so I often find the let's plays kind of the first place that I go to. Oh yeah, yeah. When yeah. I'm doing that, um, and or uh, there, you might be lucky and find someone who's done a how to play mm-hmm. uh, that is very short. Like we found some that have been five to ten minutes long for games that cut the game down to the skinny. Oh yeah, and just tells you the the like this is how you play the game. Sean and I were trying to learn uh, Star Trek by Modiphius, and we yeah. were looking at the exact at that exact yeah. content. Yes. So so I usually start there, but that's because that's the kind of style that I go through. I agree with keeping it simple. I think that is one of the best things that you can do uh, in any game that you're starting out in. And I will take it to a second step further than that, is that I would even simplify the narrative that is being presented to your players. Give them a, you know, make them all tied together. Give them a group, a troop, a, a militia, a, a, a school, whatever they're already bound to be around each other and required to be near. Mm-hmm. Simplify that process. Yeah. So that all they have to think about is their individualism and what profession effectively they're good at. What What's the thing that they're professional at? Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can lean into that interest that they have without thinking like, why am I hanging out with this dude? Well, the answer is you have two study halls with him and a you know a geography class 
okay, we're friends at, at schoolmates at some level. Yeah. There's yeah. your answer, right? You know, but the thing is, is that you've already given them the first step of reasoning to be together, the basic bonds. You can then ignore the rest of that and basically say, okay, guys, here's what you've been tasked to do. You mm-hmm. need to solve this simple problem, this meat and potatoes problem. Yeah. Here's the direction you've been you've been pre-motivated in the, in the way to that that milk run design. Here is the car. You must drive it there, pick up the milk and come back. Bring me the milk. Mm-hmm. That is the simplest thing you can do with your players for the very first adventure. It should be as milk run as humanly possible. And then you, as the storyteller, can work through all of the mechanics with them. Let them explore their skills, if that's what's in it. Combat, if that's what's in it. That's what I was going to say. Is... Move through all of the mechanics with them so that they yeah. can confound you as the storyteller of, well, can I do this? And you're like, uh, yes. <laughs> let's look sure let's do it that you know because that will happen every time yeah that that was going to be my my last piece of advice there is um look at all the core mechanics presented to you by the game system so um like in savage worlds uh there's dramatic tasks there's combat there's chases mm-hmm. um and there's interludes those are basically like the big four there's there's like rules for mass combat and so then there's some other little fiddly things in there and if you're playing deadlands there's duels and yeah and whatnot but like those are probably the big four interludes mm-hmm. combat chases mm-hmm. and uh uh and dramatic tasks yep i would say try to do a simple version of all of those mm-hmm uh, or, or yeah, I mean, specific to the game system you're playing, you Correct. know, obviously. Um, try to do, like, look at all the core mechanics it presents you and try to do something simple with all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're playing Star Trek, they've got ships. Ships are involved because it is a mm-hmm. ship-based, you know, assist, uh, 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 story. So, you know, obviously there's going to be maybe some ship combat. So maybe you get in a tussle with a Romulan warbird. Okay, maybe, but again, doesn't have to be a big thing. Doesn't have to be a huge diplomatic incident. You have a neutral zone skirmish, yeah, and th- and that's it. You know, yeah. just to test out the rules. So look, the first thing I always think of when I'm going to say you need to do a certain type of combat mm-hmm. is one of the best things that can happen in combat is situation where your players don't want to kill the people, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a misunderstanding. Yeah, because then so, they start looking for options. And that is a great rules. way to start yeah. with combat in your world, especially if combat isn't meant to be deadly. 7C is a is a game of honor and of, of respect and things like that, where everyone is trying to say up and up, their words may cut harder than the swords that they carry on their hip. But the point is, you don't want your players walking around with their pistols, pulling them out to shoot people in the face. That's not something. A duel happens. Oops. I... Yes, I have murder hobos in my party at times. But the point <laughs> is is that the players, if they want to present themselves as scallywags and cutthroats who are going to go around and pull pistols on people, understand that that is the tone of the game. Mm-hmm. And present them with that tone. On the other hand, if you're a bunch of Federation people and you're going to an outpost and along the way your comms get messed up and two vessels show up and start shrieking things over comms that you can't understand because your translator's down and then one of them opens fire across your hall and you're like okay we can't shoot at these guys we're going to open up a a diplomatic nightmare what are we going to do and now now you have a situation yeah that involves all of the components and your players have to think around the problem yes yes 
So generating these types of uh, events, uh, giving your players the chance to go through the basic story mechanics yeah. of whatever the game presents is important. Mm-hmm. Um, like in 7C, I would make sure there would be at least one duel. I would have that presented yep. because it helps the swordsmen who have those skill sets see what their skill sets can do. Yeah. And also yeah. teaches them the honor that's necessary, how how those types of fights happen. And then, sure, have them r- go have a brute squad show up to try and rough them up. Right. Introduce them to the brute squad mechanics. Correct. You know? and, and how does that get played out? I was just thinking cyberpunk red, you know, mm-hmm. have your fixer yep. set up a job. Yep. Have that job involve a uh, involve a, some sort of a computer, you know, thing sure. that they have to do so that your your hacker has something to do. Have a firefight breakout so that your, you know, your gunner has something to do, yep. you know. Put something in there so they can explore all of those base mechanics just on a simplistic level. Yep. You can all get used to the game system, and then you can really dig your teeth in once you all feel comfortable. Exactly. And don't worry so much about making sure that everyone at the table gets a spotlight in these things. Some people are going to be stressed out mm-hmm. as they're stepping up to this because they don't need to be in the limelight, but they're listening. They're trying to engage. They're 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 doing their best to try and figure out the mechanics because yeah. it's not their strong point. The worst thing you can do is force them into the limelight during that time. Don't worry about the narrative. Don't worry about them being in character. Milk runs are meant to be mechanic walkthroughs, effectively. Yeah, yeah. we're getting used to the system. We'll figure out the role. They may hate their character at the end of it and be like, oh, this is not what I wanted it to be at all. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's let's talk about what you want to be then. Yeah. And just do rewrites. I think my last piece of advice, too, um, is that... uh, I just it was just on the tip of my tongue, and then it and then it went away. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. I can present. Oh, oh no, I got it. Uh, write uh, if you have rules questions pop up at the table. Do not take the time to dig through the book and look them up. Mm-hmm. Jot them down. Make a table ruling and figure them out later. Mm-hmm. You're just just and and get your get your players buy in on that too. I mean, mm-hmm. be very open with them. Like, look, guys. We this is new system to all of us, especially me as the storyteller. I'm going to be making rule calls on the fly here. Some of them may be wrong, but we're going to jot them down. We're going to figure them out as we go, yep. and we'll get them right next time. Yep, you know, I agree with that. Um, but keep keep the flow of the story going because honestly, even for a first game where everybody's learning, nothing breaks that up more than pulling out a rule book. The last thing I'm going to say because I I tend to come things from a narrative aspect is don't tell your story in your milk run don't present it present the world show them what the world feels like yes present the people of the world that are out there don't get into detail they don't need to know about every duke and king and 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 the head of the guard those names are irrelevant to them during this yep all they should know about in this is how the world should feel how the world uh, moves and how it breathes how it reacts to them. And what their character's place is in it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're more getting used to their own character than they are the world. Right. So, again, super simple mm-hmm. plot or super simple adventure, cut and, potato, cut and dry. You should not be thinking and, and coming up with shit on the fly to try and make it challenging. None of that. Yep. Don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. Just pre- present your world in a nice wonderful landscape here's a thing here's an obstacle standing in front of the thing go get the thing yes there you go yep there you go that's your adventure 
Hope that helps. All right. Next week's topic. Uh, it's December. It's December already. It's December, Sarah. We have gone 12 months, and this is our last Storyteller 202. This is our last Storyteller 202, yeah. Uh, so we are circling back around to creating life like NPCs. We are. We've talked about NPCs a number of times, and, and kind of what you can do with them, and yeah. how they can breathe in a world. Uh, but but you know it's, I think it's, I think it's always one of those topics that we can always come back to and always add more. There's the something discussion. deeper, especially in the the thing that got me about this and making them lifelike is the one part that the the really when you get into two o two is how do you immerse your players with those NPCs? Yeah, you do a great job of making that very personal. Mm-hmm. You 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 have a certain way of weaving an NPC into a PC's existence mm-hmm. through relationship, through conversation, through what, through mem- remembering things. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that is chef's kiss. Just fantastic. Well, thank you. Rob. So next week we're going to just highlight what are the, <laughs> what are gonna, the, we're going to hand Sarah a microphone and just let her, let her ramble for no, an hour. <laughs> I think I'm literally going to sit here and put praise upon some of your some of your better NPCs. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And that. and hopefully here's some of you know I'll make a list of some of mine that you can still remember. Yeah, um, right cuz it's, it's been a hot minute since I've run a couple NPCs, but uh in a, in any case, uh we hope you guys will uh return and uh, continue listening. Well, anyways, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, seven PM Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And join us upon our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, uh join us uh join the discussion. Uh tell Rob about the seven C <laughs> game that you're about to start running and watch him break into tears of joy. Uh you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help support us every month, and you can too on Patreon. Please do. Uh, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, Hulavu, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Motion. We appreciate all of your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on YouTube or Instagram at arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandtemp.com bandcamp.com or on youtube uh, as well and our outro music which is only our footprints in the sand by mirror machine you can find that at freemusicarchive.org and a big shout out as always to our families vicky and sean thank you so much for loving and supporting us all of our friends who sat at our tables who give you always great stories to share with you over the years and you every single one of our listeners we love you guys so much love you guys good, good night, night.